Yeah, keep it, off, keep it up in the questions. If you have a question today that would help us apply the text or understand the text, you can go to slido.com and uh, you can input the uh, hashtag GFC Don Mills there. Let's pray as we look at God's word today. Father, we long for you to come. Uh, our hearts are full of so much of the complexity of life. We need you. And so I pray as we look at your word, would you meet with us? Would you help us to find hope in the middle of what we're going through in Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to preach on a topic I don't think I've ever preached on before, at least to this extent. I want to talk a little bit about the hiddenness of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Uh, sometimes God seems distant. Sometimes God seems hidden from us when we need him the most. I'm really struck by the story of a woman called Helen Rosevere. She was a famous, famous missionary uh, to the Congo, uh, what is now Zaire. And she said to God at a young age, I'll go anywhere God wants me to go, no matter what the cost. She just wrote a blank check and said, God, I will follow you. I will do whatever. I will pay any price. I will just serve you with my whole life. And so she did. In 1953, she arrived in uh, the Congo. Uh, she started a training school for nurses, and she trained uh, these nurses to be nurse evangelists to spread the gospel. And they ran clinics and dispensaries all over the country. About 11 years into her stay there, she was serving God, and civil war broke out, and uh, she was placed under house arrest. And I can barely read the story of what happened, because on one horrible evening, she was savagely beaten and assaulted. And this is what she said in the moment. This is a woman who wrote a blank check to God and said, I will serve you, I will give my whole life for you. And uh, here's what she said, on that dreadful night, beaten and bruised, terrified and tormented, utterly alone. I felt at last that God had failed me. That sounds sacrilegious, but she's just expressing, I, God was hidden to me in that moment. She said, surely he could have stepped in earlier. Surely things not, uh, did not need to go that far. I reached what seemed to be the ultimate depth of despairing nothingness. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God had abandoned you, that God had failed you, that he could have stepped in and for whatever reason he didn't? And you're there wondering, you know, the, the God who moves with power, it wouldn't be too hard for him to step in. And she just felt, God, I've, I've written you this blank check. I've given you my life to serve you. Where are you? And I just feel utterly alone. I know that feeling myself. I think that if you... Um, live any amount of time, you probably experience the same thing. Where is God when you're going through a crisis? Where is God when uh, evil happens and it would have been so easy for God to step in and yet God seems to hide his face and you feel utterly alone. You feel like God has abandoned you. Well, I'm asking this because uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, I want to just admit to you that Advent is kind of new to me. Uh, I didn't grow up celebrating Advent, December the 1st, we would just, it used to be December the 1st, we'd crank on the Christmas songs. I mean, now it's like uh, October the 15th, people crank up the, the Christmas songs. But it was just like, joy, joy, joy. Uh, and that is not uh, Advent. 
Advent is actually uncomfortable for me. I'm learning to lean into Advent because Advent isn't a time of uh, celebration. Advent is a time of longing. The celebration comes with the arrival of Jesus, but the period up to Advent is a period where we are just saying, Lord, we long for you. We desperately need you. Where are you? We're longing for you. Uh, got to talk to a guy called Aaron Damiani, and he has written a book to help evangelicals like me kind of learn uh, the church calendar. And by the way, I want to tell you, like, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to celebrate Advent. So if you're just like, I'm not into Advent at all, that's fine. But he just says there's benefit. And here's what he says. Don't you long for justice for the world to be made right? Don't you have this ache in your soul of where, where is God in the middle of my mess? He says, deep down, many of us long for this more than cozy experiences or cool gifts. And Advent teases this out by focusing on the second coming of Christ. And so this is a period where, uh, as he says, we don't, we're not pretending that Jesus hasn't come. We're not kind of saying, oh, like, man, it would be good for Jesus to come the first time. We're actually, uh, with an eye to his first coming, we're longing for his second coming. We're saying, Jesus has come the first time, and we can't wait for him to come back and set this world right. We are so sick and actually heartbroken by the, wor the way the world is. He writes elsewhere, Advent is a season of waiting expectantly for the coming of Jesus Christ who will usher in this eternal reign of justice and peace. And so friends today, uh, I don't know where you're at. I know that some of us are here today and you're doing just fine, but I know others of us came in today and our hearts are full of longing. Our hearts are full of just like, something has to happen. My life is not working. Uh, I'm I just long for him to make it right. My heart is so full of longing and lament. And so today's passage is going to help us. We're in an Old Testament passage called Isaiah, uh, a book called Isaiah. And Isaiah is a complex book. Uh, we're not going to look at it all. One day, I hope we get to go through Isaiah as a church. That would be really cool. But today, we're going to jump in. Uh, partway through the book, Isaiah has already been saying to the nation of Israel that was in exile in Babylon, you're back. You're coming back. God's going to bring you back from exile. And then uh, a number of chapters, Isaiah 49 to 55, he said, and God is going to send this suffering servant, this servant who's going to bear the sins of his people. And then he gets on to this passage and it gets sad again. So Isaiah has been like, good news. Exile is going to be over. Good news. God's going to send a suffering servant. And now he pauses and says, life is still really hard. And in this passage, I just want to lead you through how he leads us through the hiddenness of God, that feeling of like, God, we're longing for you to come. We're longing for you to fix this world because it isn't right. In this passage, he expresses two longings and two laments. And so I want to do something that is not a typical, as I said, this is Advent, not Christmas. Uh, we're not, we're going to put aside the tinsel uh, and all that stuff. We're going to lean into the whole longing thing of there, there's two longings we have and there's a couple of laments we have that will only be solved by something that we're looking forward to this season. So here are the two longings in Isaiah 63. Here's the first one. Two desires. I want to see if you face this desire as well. So here's the first one, Isaiah 63, 15. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? 
The stirring of your inner parts and compassion are held back from me. And so Isaiah says, God, I know you're up there. I know you're seeing what's going on. I, I understand you're perfectly untouched from everything that's going on down here. Would you look down? Where's your zeal and your might? What he's saying is, God, like you're up there. You've got all the power. I'm down here in the muck. Would you not look down at my life? Would you not stretch out your hand of power? And then he says, he goes on and he says, not just your power, but where's the stirring? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. God, you're powerful. You're in heaven. You're looking down. I'm sensing a lack, not only of your power, but actually your compassion for me. God, could you not look down on my life? Uh, I, this sounds sacrilegious, except I wouldn't say it, except Isaiah is saying it, but he's like, God, could you have a heart for me? Like, where's your compassion? Have you forgotten me? Where are you in the middle of this pain that we're going through? Uh, what I love about scripture is how emotive it is. Uh, it is so, it's not just like, here's a thought and here's a thought, fill your head with this knowledge. In this passage, you get a sense of the anguish of Isaiah and the people. An anguish that welcomes us to come with our anguish to God. Scripture does not look at our feelings and say, there's no place for this in your faith. Scripture invites us to bring our feelings to God. And here, Isaiah is giving us permission to say, sometimes, God, it feels like you're holding back. I know, like, we sing songs about your power, your love for your people. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. In the past, God had been comp uh, so compassionate. He had been passionate in keeping his promises. He still could do the same thing. In the past, Isaiah is looking back and says, you were so full of tenderness and compassion for us, but now it just seems like we're getting nothing back. Right now, it just seems like you're distant. Has God changed his mind about us? Isaiah just longed for God to express his love to his people. They needed a fresh sense of the love of God and his power in their lives. Um, I wonder how many of you could relate today. You just came and uh, you're just like, God, I know. Like there's been times where I've felt you. I, I felt just your power in my life. It was unquestionable. I felt like I knew you cared for me. I felt it in the core of my heart. God, where is that now? Like why am I going through this dry period? Why is my life so hard right now? Why am I at the end of my rope? God, I long for you. Would you not extend your hand? Would you not show me your compassion again? In verses 1 to 3 um, of chapter 64, he says, okay, like, God, I, I long to feel it again. But in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 64, he says, I actually want you to act on my behalf again. Um, God, I want you to do something for me again. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. When fire kindles brushwood and when the fire causes water to boil, he wants... God to come in power to take action for him. He says, I want you to, Lord, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence when you did awesome things that we did not look for. You came down at the, and the mountains quaked at your presence. Have you ever cried out to God and said, God, just this one time, I want you to act for me. Uh, just this one time, I want your presence to show up and make all the difference God, I, I want you to just show your power. God, you've done it before. Like, you can do it again. Would you not just show up 
in desperate times and make it clear that you are God and that you are powerful to act. Um, Just do it, God. Sometimes I read stories of how God has acted in the past. And uh, I just kind of have this feeling, God, would you do it again? Uh, I read the story of, I don't know, take New England in the Great Awakening. Uh, Jonathan Edwards just records what happened when God moved with power there. He says the whole town seemed to be filled with the presence of God. Do you ever look at Toronto and say, God, would you not do that again? He says, it was never so full of love or joy and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was the time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought to them. He's like the whole town was full of joy and love, conviction sometimes. People were coming to faith in Christ. He said there were parents rejoicing over their children. And he goes on and he says, husbands over their wives and wives over their husband. Man, God, could you not do that again? Could you just not give great joy where families are rejuvenated and there's a deep sense of like, can you imagine if husbands looked at their wives and just said, wow, God, wow. Like I have no words other than wow. And wives looked at their husband and said, thank you, God, for giving this man. And both of them look at their kids and go, that's what he said happened. He says our public assemblies were beautiful. The assembly in general was from time to time in tears when the word was preached. Have you ever had that happen? Somebody's preaching. They're not even that good, maybe. But you're just so filled with, I've had this happen. Just somebody's preaching and you're just like, wow. Do you hear what they're preaching? Some weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. What John and Edwards are saying, like we live through a period of spiritual renewal. Could that not happen again? Some of you have lived through periods where you just felt like God was acting in your life in very tangible ways. It was unmistakable. But maybe now you're in a season of deadness. Maybe right now you're in a season of actually intense pain. It feels like God has abandoned you. Uh, You're looking at this period and saying, okay, that God that did it before, could he not show up again? We long for more. And friends, I want you to notice these longings. They're in the Bible. Isaiah is actually giving us words that we can use in our prayers. Uh, I love the words of scripture because sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I'm scared to pray how I actually feel. And then I read scripture and find that the psalmist or Isaiah has actually used these words. And I'm like, okay, I'm safe. I can pray these words. Today, if this is you, you can come to God and say, you can use these words and cry out to God and just say, this is exactly how I feel. These are the longings of my heart. We're longing for more, God. We want more of your love and more of your power to show up in our lives. But then he switches, and he's got a couple of laments as well. In verses 17 to 19 of Isaiah 63, he says this. Um, he laments that his hearts are, their hearts are cold. He says, oh Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not. So pause there. Do you notice what, doesn't that read like he's blaming God for the condition of his heart there? Oh God, why are you making us wander from your ways? You're hardening our heart so that we fear you not. I want to suggest here, I don't think Isaiah is blaming God for their disobedience. 
it's possible that he's saying, God, in your discipline, we're feeling your discipline. That's the problem. Maybe he just realizes that unless God steps in, they're hopeless. They need God to step in and give them hope. But here he's basically saying, God, our hearts are cold. Uh, why? Like, we need you to do something about it. But he goes on and he says, return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. We've become like those over whom you've never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. He's saying, God, my heart's cold towards you. Uh, not only is, have you not moved, not only do I not feel your compassion, but I look at my own heart, I see a problem in my own heart. My heart is not moved by you. Uh, people, I look around, people are singing songs, and my heart feels nothing. God, why? Um, God, I came to worship you today, but it's just not connecting. God, why? I'm lamenting this. And then he goes on in verses five to seven. Man, I love this. He's, he doesn't lament just the coldness of his, of his heart, but he laments that he's stuck in the same old sins. See, if you relate to this, verses five to seven, behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time and shall we be saved? Have you ever felt like that? God, forgive me. I'll never do this again. Next day, God, forgive me again. I'll uh, help me. Like, and I'll never do this again, I swear. Next day, God, I don't, I'm so tired of coming to you. I'm sorry again. I'll, do you ever feel like this? In our sins, we have been for a long time. And I love the honesty. He's like, and shall we be saved? Like, is there any hope for me? I, I'm so caught up in this cycle. I don't even see a way out. Am I beyond salvation? God, am I a lost cause? Like, your mercy is so great, you can save anybody, but maybe not me because I'm just trapped in this sin. And he goes on and he says, we have all become like one who's unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. I love the, what he's saying here. What he's saying is, uh, it's not just our sins that are a problem. Even when we're at our best, we're just like a polluted garment. Like on your holiest day, when you wake up and you just love God and you pray, the first thing you do, you don't even look at your phone, you just redo your devotions. Like, uh, and then you come to church and you're just full, so full of love for people and you're worshiping and you're listening to God's word. He says, you know on that day what your righteousness amounts to? Polluted garments. Like the difference between us at our best and our worst is not very big in God's eyes. We at our best are in desperate need of God's mercy. And he's feeling that. He's saying, God, like we're hopeless. We're caught in our sin. We all fade like our leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is, have this memory of, wearing a hat on a windy day and the wind blew it off my head and it went down the street and I went tearing after it and my friends were laughing their heads off at me running down the street after that hat. This is what he's saying. That's us. Like our sins are sweeping us away and we're running desperately trying to find a solution but he's like, there's no solution. Like this is bad. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Friends, have you ever felt the desperateness of your sin? Um, I wonder if you've ever felt like, I don't know, the, the best I can do is not nearly good enough. 
Not only do you feel like God is absent, but you also feel like my heart is cold and I am not where I need to be. Isaiah puts words to these frustrations and expresses this lament to God. That's the condition of Isaiah in this passage. It's the condition of the whole nation. He's saying, this is where we find ourselves sometimes on this earth. I want to just think about what this means for us today. I want to just tease out three applications for us as we think about this. The first is this. This is where we live right now. Years ago, Shar and I attended a, a worship service, and the pastor uh, read a passage like this, and he said, uh, this is what he said. He said, I can't imagine, this is what they believed in the Old Testament. I can't imagine any New Testament believer actually expressing something like what Isaiah says there. And right away, Shar and I looked over at each other in the middle of the service, and we just said, I can I think that this is written not just to capture the reality of Old Testament uh, pre-Christ life. I think what he's doing here is actually saying, this is where we are while we're longing for Jesus to come again. We live in the middle of the mess and the world has not been put right. Even if you've trusted Christ, there's still a sense of longing. There's still a sense of ache while we're waiting for Christ to come. There's a guy, I love his name, Thaddeus Williams, and uh, he wrote on the hiddenness of God, and this is what he said. Over the years, I've met thousands of Christians who harbor a totally unnecessary amount of shame, doubt, and self-worry. And he says, here's what it's all about. They don't feel God anymore, and they feel discouraged. They feel like I'm doing something wrong. He says, uh, they, they carry the shame because God seems distant and unthrilling. The honeymoon is ended. They no longer feel the life-giving embrace of God's felt presence, and they're worried that they've done Christianity wrong, and God has hit the road. He says, many would gladly give up a limb if only they could feel God's love again. Many overanalyze themselves silly, trying to pinpoint where things went wrong, how the magic was lost. They feel like, if only I prayed more, if I did more, maybe I could get my old spiritual euphoria back, but nothing works. What am I? Some kind of spiritual freak. And he says, to make it worse, they might attend a church service with happy, clappy, major chord worship anthems, surrounded by fellow believers who are all so happy. Everyone seems to be blissfully basking in the warmth of goodness while we shiver in the cold. They just feel so disconnected from God, but apparently nobody else does. And they look around feeling like, am I alone? Christianity works for everybody but me. And here's what he says. <clears throat> this is where uh, we need to read passages like this and realize that there's a lot of complexity to life. He says, we need to come to grips with Isaiah 45, 15 that says this, truly you are a God who hides himself. He says, if you feel like God is hiding from you, if you no longer feel the buzz of his presence, you need to know you are not alone. There's nothing freakish about this. This is reality. The Bible grants us permission to acknowledge that feeling. And so today, I want you to just understand this is the reality we live in. Um, I don't want to 
I don't want to say everyone's going to feel like this, um, but I know some people inexplicably have a really hard life. Uh, I just want to say some of us at times, all of us at times, are going to go through periods where we just feel like, God, are you even there? Scripture gives us permission to lean into this reality. Friends, we do not live by our experiences. If you're not in a constant state of uh, spiritual high and euphoria, if there's ever times in life where you just feel like God is absent, you're normal. If you feel, if you came today just feeling like life has rolled you over, is there any hope? You're in the right place. We want to make room for longing and lament. Celebration, yes, joy, but longing and lament as well. This is our life. And secondly, this is hard for me, but um, the second thing I think we learn is we need to learn how to lament. In an excellent book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, uh, the author says this, lament is how we bring our sorrow to God. And so if you're feeling that right now, if you're in a season of lament, Isaiah is showing us, come to God with that lament, like actually bring it to God. He goes on and says, with, without lament, we won't know how to process our pain. Silence, bitterness, and even anger can dominate our spiritual lives instead. Without lament, we don't know how to help people walking through sorrow. Instead, we'll offer trite solutions, unhelpful comments, or impatient responses. What's more, without the sacred song of sorrow, we'll miss the lessons historic laments are intended to teach us. I remember one time, it's kind of silly now, I was going through a hard time as a teenager, and I went to somebody and just said, like, man, I hurt. Um, and he said to me, uh, we are more than conquerors through Christ. And I was like, you're not hearing me. Like, I said I'm hurting. And he's like, giving me Bible verse, like all things work together for good for those who love God. I'm like, I know it's true. And what lament is, is like, we don't just need to take a bit of scripture and say, fixed, like you're all better. Lament, he says, is how Christians grieve. It's how we help hurting people. It's how we learn important truths about God and our world. My pastoral and personal experiences convince me that biblical lament is not only a gift, but a neglected dimension of the Christian life. Why, friends, are half the Psalms, Psalms of lament? It's because life is hard. And sometimes we just need room to express our pain, our longing to God. And so today, uh, I just hope when you're, you came to worship here today, you know what, there's so many different moods to worship. If you came, I hope you feel like you can come here the weeks that you're struggling. We long for this to be a church where you can come, not just the weeks that you're on a high. We hope that it's okay, you, you know it's okay to come to God in this church and just walk in those doors and say like, I'm bleeding today. I hope, you know we have the meet and greet time I hope as people talk to you and say, how are you? I hope it's okay. I hope you know it's okay to say, not good. <laughs> like, I don't have to pretend. I don't have to say, I'm great. Like, God is good all the time. All the time, God is... No, it's been hard. I've sensed God's... I can't feel his presence. I've, I sense his absence. I hope you know as we sing the songs, even the happy ones, I know that you can just sit and say, God, I don't feel that right now. Would you make it so I could feel it again? I long for your presence. But here's a final thing. Not only can we 
come to God in honesty because this is our reality. Not only can we lament, but in this passage, there's an answer to our longing and lament. I love verse one of Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He's already expressed, God, I know you're up there watching. You're powerful. Uh, I know you see everything that's going on. I just feel like you're not taking any action. Oh, that you would actually rend the heavens and come down. I have to admit, if I heard Isaiah talk about this at first, I'd say, Isaiah, are you serious? Like, honestly, you're expecting God to, like, what are you asking him to do? Are you, are you actually expecting that God will come to earth and do something about this? Like, Isaiah, get real. He's God. He's up there. We're down here. And Isaiah's like, that's exactly what I long for God to do. Oh, God, would you leave your holy throne? Would you leave the place where you're removed from all our suffering? Would you actually enter our mess? And what he's longing for is what we're longing for. God, we need a visitation from you. Exactly what Jesus Christ did at Christmas. Jesus answered our longings and came down. He hungered. He thirsted. He suffered. He went through everything that we do. At Christmas, he rended the heavens and came down. We need God with us. We need a God who's going to come and heal diseases, drive out demons, touch sinners, and die for our sins. In the readings of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel this week, uh, on November the 30th, it said, O Savior, rend the heavens wide. Come down, come down with mighty stride. Unbar the gates, the doors break down. Unbar the way to heaven's crown. Friends, as we approach Christmas, this longing for Jesus to come down, for God to come down himself, was answered. But we're longing for more, aren't we? We understand that Jesus has dealt with our sin problem. He's died for our sins. He's entered our world of suffering, but we long for more. We long for Jesus to come back again and make this world right. We long for the day that he will no longer be hidden. His love will be fully expressed and our lament will be over. And so friends, what we long for can only be met with Jesus. What we long for can only be met not only by his first coming, but his second coming. I invite you today, if you've never trusted in Christ, acknowledge the pain, bring it to him, but long, look to his first coming, look to what he did for you at the cross. He invites you to come for him, but friends, let's say, God, would you come again? Jesus, would you rend the heavens and come down again? We need you to fix this world. I began with the story of Helen Rosevere. And on that day, she just felt like, God, where are you? I feel utterly lost. She, felt, she said, I felt like God had failed me. Surely he could have stepped in earlier. And here's what she said a little later on. Through this brutal, heartbreaking experience, God met with me with outstretched arms of love. It was an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete, and I suddenly knew, I really knew that his love was utterly sufficient. He did love me. He did understand. God not only uh, understood my desperate misery, but also my awakened desires and mixed up horror of emotional trauma. And then she began to realize, I actually worship Jesus who suffered too. When he feels absent, Jesus himself felt that absence. He knows what I'm going through. And she said, I knew that uh, he was actually offering me the inestimable privilege of sharing in some little way 
in the fellowship of his sufferings. Friends, come to God in your longing lament. He cares, he understands. Jesus suffered too. He will receive it even as we long for him to come again. And so, Lord, we long. This passage is heavy. Uh, This sermon is heavy. Uh, Lord, forgive us for sometimes uh, making things less complicated than they really are. I thank you, your word never does that. Lord, your word uh, embraces the complexity of life. It helps us understand how hard life is. I pray for anybody who came today feeling like they were barely hanging on. I pray that they would be able to express their longing and lament to you today. But Lord, we thank you uh, that you did rend the heavens and come down. And we long for you to do that again. As you came and sent your son the first time, Lord, would, would you send your son a second time and make everything right? On that day, Lord, we will no longer mourn. We will no longer lament. You will fix everything that's wrong with this world. We long for that day. And so, Lord, in the complexity of life, would you draw us to Jesus, who is our only hope? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, there we go. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Darrow, for preaching God's word to us. We have a couple of questions here. Um, I'd like to start us off with a textual one. So this question says, can you clarify the meaning of Isaiah 64 verse 7? Uh, Does it mean our sin is the reason that God hides his face from us? Are there other reasons why God feels distant? So Isaiah 64, 7 says, There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Uh, I think what he's saying there is, the first part of the verse is, like uh, I think reflecting the reality that apart from God's grace, nobody seeks after God. So it takes God to... Uh, even give us a heart to seek after him. And so we're caught, unless God acts, we're kind of caught in our iniquities. God has to intervene to save us. So I think it's just real, uh, like if you're drowning in a pool, you know that the help has to come from outside of yourself. You can't save yourself. So I think that's what he's saying. Like God, if, unless you take action, I'm doomed. We, do, we absolutely need you. Uh, just a follow up on that then. So Uh, Can you think of other reasons why God might feel distant from us? Yeah, I mean, every believer I know that in in history has had periods where, I mean, uh, they call this the dark night of the soul sometimes. I think it's just part of our normal human experience that God, we're not always on a spiritual high. And so I think it's a part of the natural human experience that we don't talk about enough. So um, because of our sin, because of suffering, uh, because God's presence isn't fully revealed here, we live in a world of sin and suffering. So so many reasons. Thank you. Uh, So earlier you mentioned that you hope that GFC will be the kind of church where it's okay to say I'm not okay. Um, So here's a question then. You mentioned when you were feeling that way that your friend was kind of throwing at you Bible verses which were true, 
but here's a question. What could your friend have done instead of giving you Bible verses about how all things work together for good? The same friend a week ago celebrated his 35th uh, year in ministry. And uh, so I knew him like on the front end of that 35 years. And last week somebody said, we went through a hard time and I was challenging God and crying in anguish to God. And he sat and listened and wept with us. And uh, so 35 years on, he stopped just, no, the Bible verses are true, like you say. We need those truths. But he, I think the uh, word scripture says to weep with those who weep. Sometimes we just need to sit and weep. Uh, Job's comforters, you know, the best thing they did was for that first week was just to sit and uh, mourn with Job. So uh, probably silence. And there's a time for the Bible truth later, but probably just sitting and weeping with somebody. Amen. Uh, how do we find the line between honesty and irreverence when crying out to God? Uh, I found the best way is to use the lament of scripture, because uh, that way you're actually within the bounds of what God has actually given us to express ourselves. Mm. I don't trust my own heart, uh, and so I, I'm always scared of being irreverent to God and uh, saying things that I shouldn't to God. Mm. I know that as long as I'm in his word, like the Psalms are raw, so they actually allow us to express how we're feeling and still know we're okay because God put it in his word for us to use. Yeah. Uh, I think the reality is as we live in this fallen world, we're always going to have something to lament about. So here's a question. Can excessive lamentation make your heart ungrateful? Can You know, it depends. I think... Uh, I think that if we get in a cycle of uh, always, I'm challenged. I know we we looked at Philippians this uh, summer, and Paul's in prison, and yet it's uh, the epistle's so full of joy. And uh, I think that if we just get caught in the cycle of where our whole world becomes one of there's things to rejoice over, but we're not grateful, and we're caught in that cycle of lament, it can be dangerous. Uh, Yes, there's a danger in going that far. I think there's also a danger in denying that there is room for lament. So probably, uh, I, I'm really, I don't know if anybody's read Spurgeon's Sorrows by Zach Gaswine. Such a helpful book because uh, Spurgeon was, he spent his whole life battling depression. And people said, if you were more spiritual, you wouldn't be struggling with depression. And he just was. I don't know if it was uh, chemically or I don't know what was it, but I think we need to be careful of condemning, like putting a heavy burden on people who are struggling with depression and say, you just need to be more spiritual. But probably, like, we also need others to walk along with us and maybe redirect us if we're, if we're prone to lean in a healthy direction either way. Yeah. I remember years ago reading something that was uh, attributed to Spurgeon, and he was saying how uh, the Christian can't be an ultimate pessimist. Uh, you can go through seasons of depression and uh, just this longing for something more. But even in the midst of the mess, we are aware of the future hope that we have. That's right. So yeah, I think that's something to cling on to in the yeah. dark days. Um, uh, here's a question. How can we be helpful to each other when we notice they may be, uh, one another may be cold to God or feel that God is hidden? So how can we help each other? Uh, in those coldness. One of the, the I don't know if the uh, church has this book somewhere, but if you don't have it, it's worth getting even for adults. Um, uh, I think the guy actually that wrote the O Come and Come Emmanuel put it together. 
uh, they went through a miscarriage and they would teach their kid, uh, what shape is the moon round? No, we'll look at it. Like, what shape is it? And it looked like a crescent or some, some nights it looked like it was completely hidden. What shape is it? It's round. And uh, when they went through the miscarriage, they came home and they said to their daughter, like, what shape is the moon tonight? Round. And the whole point of the story was, even when you can't see the, the roundness of the moon, it's still round. Even when we can't see the goodness of God, he's still good. Hmm. And that whole idea of, like, we've got to remind ourselves, when we can't see it, we need each other to say, is God good right now? You can't see it right now, he's still good. He hasn't changed. Hmm. So we just got to, yeah, I think we've got to remind each other. So sometimes I need you, like, I, I, I don't have the power, so I need you to remind me what I struggle to believe. Hmm. Oh, that's good. That's what the church is there for, yeah. right? Uh, okay, um, our last question. Should we expect God to respond to our longing and lament in this life or when Jesus comes again? Ultimately, when he comes again, yeah. There's some, uh, somebody actually in this church said to me recently that somebody told her that there's some wound she has that won't be fully healed until then. Uh, that's not all of us, but that's some of us. I think our ultimate longing, like friends, everything we have in this world, I have the most amazing wife. Like I honestly do. I marvel at her. She's not enough. Like as good as she is, the best wife in the world is not God and was not meant to be God. So no matter the best career you have, the best, like ultimately, even if you have everything you wanted, it's still not enough. So our hope is only going to be met ultimately in him. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Darrell. Uh, why don't we join together in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to respond? Heavenly Father, you are good. Uh, oftentimes in this broken world, we do not see or uh, we are not made aware of your goodness, but we know your word tells us you are good. And so, Father, we pray uh, even in our longing, even in our waiting, help us to cling to the truths that we know. And help us to be honest when our hearts do not feel that way. Our emotions haven't caught up to the truths that we profess. We know that Christ is worthy, whether we are having a good day or not. And so, Father, even as we respond in this song, we pray for those who do not feel this way, that the truth will permeate our hearts and minds that you would lift us up out of the, the weariness and the brokenness that we feel. You would give us glimpses of hope that are found in Christ as we await his return. Uh, we pray this in his name. Amen.